Today's readings are Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, 8 through 11, and John 1, 6 through 8, 19 through 28. They can be found on pages 689 and 977 of the Bible's next year seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called mighty oaks, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and, array, and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make the righteousness and praise spring up from before all nations. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The word of the Lord. Let us, let us pray. Our God of grace, um, as we come into this place, um, and we sit down and we do something that maybe feels unusual in our circle of friends and in our world today. We, we look for a spiritual being 
We look to you. We want to know you better. We want you to be real in some way in our life. And God, thank you that as you reveal your story of grace in the Bible, and that we look at every week, that you show us that you're not surprised and scandalized by our own story, our own messes that we come with. Things others here will never know about us. Um, you know, and yet as your, as your story tells us, you move towards the mess, you move towards broken lives, and you moved in the incarnation deeply into the broken world and took on flesh. Thank you that we can come this morning and know that we're all in the same boat, broken, and we will be met with the grace of a God who meets us in our brokenness, in fact, takes on the pain and the brokenness and the mess, shoulders it on our behalf so that we can be brought into the realm of, realm of grace, the realm of the grace of the Heavenly Father. Will that become real for us today as we worship together and as we hear the words of Scripture? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you been offended by anything lately? You taken offense by something? What do you find offensive? What, what could I say right now that would just send you out the door? Um, if, you're, if you're married, probably even if you just have a roommate, you get used to taking offense to things almost every day. Um, maybe you've got offended and got in a huff about something that someone put in a comment on Facebook, you know, about two and a half, three weeks ago, when everyone was talking about issues, nationwide issues of race and police. Maybe you took offense... Um, also on that same topic, um, it was months ago now, um, the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers, Donald Sterling, it was, it was big news, so I'm not, saying, I'm not just going to basketball because I love basketball, but it was, it, was, it was big news. Everyone was talking about Donald Sterling saying some racist comments. Maybe you were scandalized. Maybe you were offended by what he said. You probably should be. Um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote a great comment editorial on, on that and said... Moral outrage is exhausting. It's an interesting take that he had. He said, yeah, sure, we should all be offended at these racist comments. We should also be offended and in outrage of how they were obtained, the, the secret recordings of someone baited into saying something so that it could immediately be passed on and everyone could be outraged about it. I thought that was interesting. What, what, do, you get out, what do you get offended by? What do you take issue with? And maybe it's different if you've lived uh, a little longer than I have. Maybe what you get offended by now is different from what you did 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. And what's up with that? If you're young, is, are the things that you get offended by and take issue with, is 20 years from now, you're just going to be like real relaxed about it and kind of, eh, that doesn't, that doesn't bother me as much as it used to. Something to stew on, deep thought. Um... And why? Because maybe you start to evaluate the layers, kind of like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You start to 
evaluate the layers of an issue and see, eh, it's a little more complex. Or maybe you start to evaluate yourself. A little bit of self-knowledge goes a long way. What is it about me that I get so offended about this particular thing? Well, all of this is just delay tactics for the fact that this message today, I think, is going to be a little bit offensive. Um, because Isaiah chapter 61 gets us in the realm of the offensive, and um, so we're going to look at it in three parts. There's the part that resonates with all. Okay, so a little soft start there. There's a part of this passage that resonates with all. There's a part of it that offends or should be found offensive by most, and then there's a part that's found challenging by all. First of all, what resonates with all? And this will be very brief, because I think it's obvious. That in Isaiah chapter 61, there is talk of a great blessing, and it's a, it's a blessing for a broken world. What do you wish was fixed about our world? You know, when you read Isaiah 61, and you read about good news to the poor, Binding up the brokenhearted. There's captives that need freedom. There's prisoners that are in the dark and need release. There's mourning and grief. There's ashes. Well, I think we all resonate with the need for our world to get fixed. For if there is a God, will you please arrive? And will you work towards fixing? Will you bring it back together? Last week, the question of the week was, What do you wish was fixed? And someone said, Our broken and wounded hearts and souls. The broken world. It's a great kind of catch-all answer. These questions of the week are in the worship guide. You can answer the one for next week if you want to. Someone else said, The highways. What needs to be fixed? Then they followed up by saying, Relationships. Um, They had to kind of get the soft answer in and then go deep all of a sudden. I like that. And ease into it. Someone said, I wish we were fixed with perfect trust. If we could count on one another to tell the truth and not lie to each other. And then I love this parenthetical comment. It's a deep thought I've never really had before. But then there would be no reason to trust each other. I take that. I think I get what that's saying, and it kind of makes me think. The idea that um, would there be a need for trust if there wasn't any broken trust? Well... We all want the world to get broken. And so when we see this promise in Isaiah 61, we sign on. We say, I would love to grab hold of that. I would love that to be true. I would love to be a part of that. Because like this quote in your worship guide, this first quote by Karl Rahner, he says, You tell me that you have really already come, that your name is Jesus, Son of Mary, and that I know in what place and at what time I can find you. That's all true, of course, Lord, but forgive me if I say that this coming of yours seems to me more like a going, more like a departure than an arrival. That's, that's an Advent quote for today. The world is still unfixed, and we long to know when and how, but we want to hope. It's pretty uncontroversial to hope for the world to be fixed. So that's what resonates with all, but what is found offensive by most? is that in Isaiah 61, we are brought into this longer story in the Bible uh, in which the blessing that God brings has a bottleneck. One, one time I read someone writing about this and they talked about it as the scandal of particularity. 
There's a bottleneck to the blessing. There's a narrowness to where the blessing comes from and the route of blessing that God brings. Hang with me and we'll explore it. In Isaiah 61 verse 1, starts out with a telling phrase, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. That's the wording from Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. The spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters before the creation of the world. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. When that was referenced in Genesis 1, something huge and incredible happened next. And when it happened, there was a particularity to it. Because the clear message to ancient Israel in their creation story was that there was one God. And it was, it was an offensive message to the people around them because the story told how a lot of the things that the people in the tribes and nations around them were looking to as spiritual and divine were actually not divine, but were created by their God. There's only one, and anything else in this world you're looking to, it's actually not divine. That's sort of an ancient offensiveness going on in the Bible's story of how things were made. And as Isaiah 61 progresses, we get another allusion to something very early on in the story of the Bible that is also bottlenecked blessing in 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 61 verse 7 we read this phrase no verse 8 in my faithfulness i will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them remember that phrase i will make an everlasting covenant with them in genesis 17 verse 7 god is speaking to abraham or abram before he changed his name, he says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. All right, it's the same language. And when God spoke that to Abraham, he said also in in chapter 12, when he first had this conversation of covenant with Abraham, he said, I will bless those who bless you. Hear this blessing language. Um, And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Um, So Abraham, God enters into a broken world. Abraham's a recipient of blessing, but it's a blessing for all the world. But notice, it it bottlenecks through Abraham, doesn't it? This is is God going to, to one to bless all. There's already the offensiveness in this, in this story early on because it's not Abraham, Ishmael, and Jacob. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is a route, there is a path that God uses and he decides how the blessing is going to come even if it is including all, and it's a blessing for all. There's a route. And I think we find that troubling sometimes. And so John the Baptist comes along, and we talk about this a lot around Advent time. John the Baptist comes along, and what does he say? 
he's drawing a big crowd out in the wilderness. People are coming out, and, and he turns to them, and he says, after me, many good teachers will come. Find one that works for you, and go with your heart. No, okay, so some of you know the Bible a little bit, right? Good job. That's what we say. That's a message we're surrounded by. Well, you see it, I'm not even, I can't even pull it up necessarily. Yeah, I will pull it up. Here we go. He says, I'm the voice. And then he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to tie. John the Baptist says there's one. There's one. He doesn't even want to bring attention to himself, and he seems to be he, he seems to be where it's at. He can draw people. He seems to have some stuff going on. But even he will say, no, anything that I have, I'm redirecting and saying, go to this one. And so you never find God's plan leading towards excluding groups of people, but you do find it excluding routes to his blessing. And you might hope that Jesus would be less offensive. Right? Because I think a lot of ways we have a cultural sensibility about Jesus that is still pretty inoffensive. People like Jesus. He's a good teacher, right? Um, But what does he do? But he decides that he thinks that that one in Isaiah... 61, the, the, vo- the voice, the spirit is on me, anointing me, I've come. When that happens in Isaiah, that's a thread of Isaiah, of um, this, people call the servant, um, suffering servant character. It's a mysterious figure throughout Isaiah that pops up and appears. And there's going to be a big time of blessing that's going to come through that one. It's a, we don't know who it is. When you're, if you're just reading Isaiah, it's kind of, it's not, it's not, it's very much from God. It's a figure from God, very powerful with God's blessing. But it's going to be in the human realm. It's mysterious. And all this blessing and good things are going to come through that one. When all the people of, uh, were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. This is Luke chapter 3, right after all the Christmassy texts. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And then in chapter 4 verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Then in verse 14 of chapter 4, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. And then he goes to synagogue on the Sabbath, and the scroll is handed to him. And so in verse 17 of Luke chapter 4, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. And remember all these little quotes about the Holy Spirit being on Jesus. So Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's quoting Isaiah 61. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. 
to set the prisoners free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what does he do? It says, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, much as maybe our worlds should be this season, um, almost ready for the offense. And then Jesus says it. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus thinks he's the big, mysterious, one blessing bringer from Isaiah 61. That's who he thinks he is. Um, so Jesus, at Christmas time, I think this passage and how Jesus uses it, we just have to pause and consider um, whether or not we're acknowledging that there is an offensive side of this beautiful story of a manger of the Virgin Mary. Jesus is the bottleneck of God's blessing, God's long plan to bless you and to bless your neighbors and to bless your co-workers and to bless your whole family. And yet, as it, as it wants to bless all, it comes through only one young virgin only one manger, only one cross, only one empty tomb. And that blessing goes and flows through all of it. I like this quote in the worship guide by um, Frederick Wilhelm Forrester. He says, The mystery of the incarnation brings us an eternally new, uniquely real message, a message that points to the sole fundamental solution of the problem facing all mankind. Pure spirit penetrates dust-born life, leaves aside all temptation, accomplishes the whole passion of the divine spirit in the unspiritual world, and returns to eternity pure. Christmas reminds you, if you're a Christ, if you're a Christian, Christmas reminds you that Christians say something huge and wonderful has happened, and it's for everyone, and it's happened through Jesus. I honestly just can't figure out how to follow that sentence up by also saying what we're so prone to hearing and saying, everyone pursue your own path. Each one will be just as fruitful as the next. So it stretches us, I think. It's good to be stretched. And so a little bit of how I might think of it is I have to imagine my... Wiccan and Hindu and Islamic neighbor all being on a path that God very much has his hands on and has his eyes on and has their journey handled and at the same time to believe and to pray and to long for that journey to lead to the one manger the one cross, the one empty tomb. While I, while I patiently, lovingly befriend and pour out myself uh, for them in love. Um, okay, so that's the offensive part. We just sort of sit with that. Um, and then the challenging part. 
which is challenging to all. There's a part of Isaiah 61 that is challenging to all, and it's challenging in the way of, of humility. It's humbling. The blessing is offered to all in the same way, to everyone, to everyone, whether you're brand new to considering Christianity, whether you've been doing it for 50 years. This is challenging no matter where you're at. The way the blessing is offered to you. In Isaiah, I love it. I love the image of this because it really speaks powerfully to the truth of being a Christian. Um, For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. It's verse 10 of Isaiah 61. And arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. That's the mystery figure talking. The one who Jesus thought he was. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me in garments of salvation and arrayed me in the robe of his righteousness. And we read just before that, at the beginning of Isaiah 61, verse 3, he's anointed me to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You get the clothing analogy? Jesus is clothed with garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness, but he's going to clothe us. The challenge that is a challenge for all of us is to be clothed. I've even, I, I've even felt, if you're in one of those stores where someone helps you find the right fit of a coat and they hold it out and you have to, even that's humbling. Just that tiny bit of, I'll let you put that on for me. Because we want to say, I got this. I can't imagine someday having to be dressed after maybe being bathed by someone else. How humbling. That's actually the analogy of how we get the blessing of God. Um, whether you're a, you know, just a brand new person praying for the first time, or whether you're the Pope. There's a slide, actually. Um, being clothed, the Pope went to confession um, and he actually kind of did it publicly in a service where the plan was that he wouldn't, and he, and he did it to sort of make a statement. Whether you're, what, even if you're wearing the shiniest clothes that symbolize the greatest title or greatest honor in the world, your clothes need changing. That's the analogy of you need a substitute set of clothes. You need a substitute validation before God. You need a substitute righteousness in the language of this text. Arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Um, No matter where you are in your journey, you actually need to be clothed because what you have on, even your righteousness, the Bible says, is filthy rags. You know how we walk around and we say, you know, it's important to make a first impression and so we dress really nice. I'm leave you with this. The Christian lives their whole life based on only the impression that is made by Jesus to the Father. Has that connected yet and begun to be a spark that transforms how you operate? That your whole life is lived not by any impression you actually make, but by the impression Jesus has already made on your behalf? That can be catalytic. That can change you from a stingy, closed-handed person to someone who gives away, whether it be your money, your time, yourself, your trust, because you already have everything that's been given to you by Jesus. Let's pray.
God, you draw us in with the promise of blessing, but then you surprise us at every turn by how humble, how humble you ask us to be um, and by how difficult it is to trust your plan for how blessing comes. Uh, I pray that you walk with us as we deal with the offensive parts and the challenging parts and meet us today with your grace, whether we're hurting, whether we feel strong. We need you. We need your blessing uh, so desperately. Would you please give it to us? Amen.